Welcome to the Industry Insights by SAP podcast series. I'm delighted to host this podcast and share key trends and innovations for each of the 25 industries we serve. At SAP, we like to say that we speak the language of our customers, and this language is industry. We've been supporting all industries for more than 50 years now, and it's exciting to launch this podcast and discuss with industry experts the business value that they get from our solutions. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Industry Insights Podcast by SAP. My name is Tom Raftery, and with me on the show today, I have my two special guests, Elena and Betty. Elena and Betty, would you like to introduce yourselves? Maybe, Elena, you go first. Thank you, Tom. Um, my name is Elena Filippova. I'm Director of ESG Proposition at Refinitiv. Refinitiv is a London Stock Exchange group business. Um, what that really means is that I look after the um, ESG data information that we present in financial products. Um, and I I'm really responsible for the integration of our ESG green sustainable data insights analytics into the relevant products and services across our data and analytics division at the London Stock Exchange Group. Um, this also includes managing the overarching ESG strategy for the business, as well as integrating our uh, market leading ESG data, green revenues, transition pathway initiative data sets across Refinitiv, um, across FTSE Russell indices, and bringing to market the um, products that clients need to enable more sustainable investing and financing decisions. I've actually worked in the space of sustainable finance for 16 years um, and have had various positions, including a membership to the European Commission Technical Expert Group on Sustainable Finance. Phenomenal. Pleasure to be with you today. Thank you. Phenomenal. Great. And Betty, would you like to introduce yourself? Thank you, Tom. And hello, Elena. And hello, everyone. I'm Betty Moon, and I'm SAP's advisor for the banking and capital markets industry in North America. And what that means is that I serve as a bridge between SAP and our financial service customers. I spent the first three decades of my career heading up lines of business at banks that, um, You probably recognize some of the names like Bank of America and PNC and Huntington Bank. Um, And now I bring that experience and SAP's technology together to help financial service executives really discover how new technologies can allow them to better engage with their customers, better motivate their employees and better serve their communities. Fantastic. Fantastic. And we're here today to talk a little bit about ESG, for example, and maybe... Uh, Elena, for people who might be unaware or maybe have just heard the letters ESG a couple of times but aren't really sure what it means, could you go into a little bit of detail about what ESG is and, you know, why are people starting to talk about it? Happy to. And and maybe just starting with the very basics. ESG stands for Environmental, Social and Governance. Um, And these are those non-traditional financial considerations that um, we're more and more talking about as being critical to to be included and integrated uh, when making financing decisions and investment decisions. But why it really matters um, is... It's quite simple. Uh, It's because the future economic growth 
um, largely depends on how quickly and effectively we're able to respond to the social and environmental challenges which are presented to our society. Um, we experience high volatility and, and changes in, in how systems function and operate, uh, in capital allocation processes, in consumption behaviours. Um, and what's even more important, I think, is, is the role of regulators. And uh, we see more and more around the globe regulators acknowledging that financial stability and social progress actually must go hand in hand or a very big market correction will hurt everyone um, at the very best. So it is not only the markets, but it's it's the planet, it's our only home, which will not allow us to keep business as usual mode any longer. And the time window that we have to act and evolve and adapt is actually very limited. Um, I also think it's very important for us to remember that we've entered a century of very significant shocks and volatility. We don't need to sure. mention the, the pandemic which has been with us for the last uh, more than two years or the, the recent very unfortunate uh, developments between Russia and Ukraine, um, the social unrests uh, in 2020. Um, to have resilient capital markets, sustainability, um, ESG, has to be embedded in all decisions and processes. It's as simple as that. Okay, and Betty? Well, you know, Tom, we all have a vested interest in the environment and in the communities we live in, right? I mean, personally, this is an area that has been so important to me for as long as I can remember. I mean, I grew up in Cleveland, Ohio. And when I was a very little girl, the Cuyahoga River, which feeds into Lake Erie, caught on fire. Now, it was once one of the most polluted waterways in the country, and it fed into the Great Lakes, which is the largest freshwater system in the world. It holds 20% of the Earth's freshwater. And it took until just three years ago that the fish that were caught in that same river were finally declared safe to eat by the environmental regulators. I mean, that's crazy, right? That it mm -hmm. took 50 years before, after the river burned, before we could actually eat the fish in the river. So my point is that, you know, we all have to care about the rivers and the lakes and the rising ocean levels. And because we all are starting to care about this more and more, banks and financial institutions are also caring about these issues more and more. And it's it's not just because we all need fresh water and we need, you know, healthy food to eat, but it also has direct implications on every industry out there, every business out there that that seeks funding from financial institutions. And today, 91% of the chief risk officers in banking are concerned about climate change and concerned about the physical risks to their branches, to their facilities, to their people, and to the possible negative impact on the creditworthiness of their clients. So I really think that as all of our interest grows as consumers, so will the interest and focus of governments and regulatory agencies as well. And banks have to care about these issues because they have relevance to every single one of us and they serve our communities. Okay, very good. The space is quite immature 
and the reporting standards such as they are are also quite immature. Can we can we talk a little bit about that? How do we cross compare companies in this space and what are we going to do about these standards? Maybe Elena, you want to kick off? Happy to. And, and you're absolutely right, Tom, um, that um, we're in time of change uh, that we haven't seen um, in, in a very long time. And it's it's a learning um, curve for everyone, uh, for us as consumers, for uh, bankers and investors, for regulators. Um, and we are doing quite a lot of trial and error. Um, there is no... Um, manual of how to do it right. Things like decarbonization or the path to net zero. There is no one way uh, to, to get there. There are lots of individual uh, paths, nuances, and um, best ways to pursue that journey. As well as we're all um, on this journey with a different starting point. Some of us are already there who mm. have had um, this at the core of, of their strategy as, as a business, for example. For other businesses, the journey will be a, a lot harder um, and it will be, it's full of unknowns in terms of new technologies that need to be invented that don't exist today. Um, so it's, it's inevitable that at the beginning there are um, unknowns, but we all need to in addition to, of course, knowing that this is the right thing to do, uh, we need to also acknowledge that this makes best business sense as well. As, as um, a big and famous CEO of, of a large asset manager said a while ago, sustainability mm -hmm. is is the largest business opportunity of our lifetime. Right. Some will be winners, others will be losers, and it's important to stay uh, ahead of it and lead and innovate um, because there is no business as usual as mentioned. Whether it's a corporate that's looking for, um, uh, for sustainability reporting, there are standards available in the market. Uh, there are numerous tools um, and um, big open toolboxes tool available for, for many companies, for investors, for consumers of financial products to choose from and find the right tools that they need to embark on the journey. Um, so I think it's, it's very important to, um, to start the journey knowing that there are limitations and not use excuses to delay action. Okay. And what about things like the science-based target initiative, for example, for helping to set standards? I mean, there's there's that and there's a number of other organizations out there which are helping to define the kind of standards that we need. Absolutely. In the area of climate, we've seen um, a lot of great developments in the last couple of years, uh, dealing with some of the fundamental problems that the industry is faced with. Problems around common definitions, accounting standards, and disclosure, um, whether it's the the um, sustain uh, the science-based targets initiatives or TCFD, which is the task force uh, for um, uh, climate financial disclosure. Okay, and Betty, any follow-up on that? 
Well, you know, Tom, I heard a long time ago from an executive that good stewardship is good business. And I think that's the thing that we're going to start to see more of is that there's a recognition now that this isn't just about um, greenwashing, making things look like we're environment, we care about the environment or we care about social um, concerns. I mean, it is good business and there's lots of studies that, that we could point to that will, that will prove that out. But, you know, I think that some of the big challenges that, that we're facing right now are going to be solved by more, more regulation and more governance around reporting, because right now, think about it, banks have issued loans and bonds to the fossil fuel industry over the past five years to the tune of around three and a half trillion dollars. I mean, they provide a lot of funding to companies of all sorts, and some of those companies damage the climate. So this is capturing the attention of these climate action groups. And these climate action groups are now targeting those banks that lend the most to this, these dirty companies. But how do you how do you know that? How do we track that? How do we report on that? And I think some financial institutions are lagging behind because they just haven't had to do that kind of reporting yet. It's changing though. I think that with um, without these common, you know, auditable standards, it's very difficult for lenders to um, compare themselves to the peers and it's difficult for consumers to identify who the good banks are and how they're supporting these ESG issues. But I do think that we're going to start to see some additional governance and oversight. And that depends on good data and data insights and standardized reporting and transparency. And banks have lots of data already, but it's going to change. I think in the future, they're going to need different kinds of data than what they've traditionally collected, more forward-looking data. And the regulators are going to be looking for banks to be able to manage that information. Um, there's some regulations that are coming here in the United States. For example, last summer, there was a bill that was introduced on Capitol Hill called House Bill 3948, I think. It was the Greater Supervision and Banking Act. And that would require the largest U.S. banks to submit um, annual reports to the Fed with details on 17 different business areas, right? Including those that relate to their ESG activities. And then the SEC right now is also considering some new ESG disclosures that are going to start with climate. So the regulations to your, to your point are coming and there's good news here because um, the banks that are doing well with ESG are showing up with superior financial performance as compared to their peers who seem to be a little less committed at this point in time. Okay, interesting. And speaking of regulations, Elena, are there similar kinds of regulations coming in Europe? Yes, um, I think policymakers around the world are um, more and more recognizing that the financial system can significantly influence the real economy in either way, um, either mm -hmm. towards sustainability or actually undermine progress that is being made against environmental and social goals and objectives. Um, so we do see significant rise in the volume of sustainable finance regulation emerging around the world. Um, 65 
percent roughly of, of all regulation in sustainable finance last year came out of Europe. Um, um, there are a number of very significant regulatory um, initiatives that have come in force last year and are great, gradually coming into force this year, whether it's the um, EU taxonomy, which um, very simply explained is a classification that aims to define what green activities are across the real economy. Um, this uh, regulation um, has connections to um, pretty much most of the other sustainable finance regulatory texts across the EU because it solves for the, the core problem of consistent definitions. Um, the lack of consistent definitions is one of the key driver um, towards greenwashing that we've seen in the past. And the second key driver for greenwashing is lack of transparency. And that brings me to the second key regulation here in the European Union, which is the SFTR or Sustainable Finance um, uh, Disclosure Regulation. Um, and it's, it's all about transparency. Um, asking from financial firms uh, to disclose on their um, ESG performance across portfolios and across an organization as an organization, because you can have ESG teamed portfolios, which have very positive impact, but in the grand schema of all investment decisions and capital allocation decision, it's a drop in the ocean. So the regulation really looks for that holistic disclosure to force companies to think about sustainability strategically as, as a firm, rather than uh, as, a, as a separate team that sit completely independently and separated from the investment team. So I think the regulation is definitely hitting at the heart of the problem that the industry is facing right now. Excellent. And you've both mentioned greenwashing now, and we haven't actually talked about it. So let me just throw that question out there. How can we ensure that we minimize greenwashing, that we make sure that it's not an issue going forward? Because this is an immature space, so there is still room for people to do either blatant outright greenwashing or maybe even greenwashing just through lack of knowledge of the space? It's an important question that you're asking, Tom, and, and it's really complicated because mm -hmm. it, this, there's there are without these common standards, right? When people are doing and providing, when people are providing information in a way that's voluntary, right? Voluntary means inconsistent. So I do think that over time, as we see more regulations coming from Europe, which really has taken a leading role in this compared to other parts of the of the globe. I think we're going to see more regulations, more government focus to standardize what needs to be reported on and how. And that transparency is going to help us get where we need to go. We're not there yet, but I think it's starting to change. Okay, Elena? I fully agree um, with Betty's points that, um, that it's about transparency and standardization. Um, I would also mention one key development in the, in the area of sustainable finance, which... 
from where I sit, um, I expect to have very um, significant impact on the market, specifically in the area of greenwashing. And it's the creation of the International Sustainability Standards Board by the IFRS Foundation. Um, as announced last year during COP26 by the chairman, uh, the board was set up this year. It's still uh, recruiting its members, members as we speak. However, the anticipated timeline for uh, disclosure guidelines, which will be produced by the ISSB, um, suggests that by the end of the year, we're going to see the first base guidelines. Um, and um, just by the pure uh, nature of, of the organization, the, 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 the power of the IFRS Foundation and the influence it's had on financial data, I think it sends a very strong signal to the market of the direction of travel, of the um, closing gap between non-financial and financial, because uh, realistically speaking, all ESG data becomes financially material depending on the time horizon of the investment. Very good. Very good. And what's next? I mean, what what's coming down the line for organizations, you know, who are inter interested in this space or who should know about this space? What what should they be, be preparing for? Well, you know, Tom, I think, you know, bank leaders are going to be a big part of the ESG solution as we move forward. I think that they're already starting to take a leadership role and boards are becoming more interested in these ESG issues and how um, their organizations can address them. So I think just the ongoing conversation is helping drive this momentum. So I, I'm excited about that. And I think that banks are going to be a part of the solution for other corporations, ESG issues, because they are the um, lifeblood of industry, right? They provide financing, but also they're going to be focusing in on their own internal ESG issues. They're going to be focusing in on their own internal supply chain issues. And we're seeing a lot of progress that makes me very hopeful. You know, um, today, um, Oxford Economics did some research with us that said that only 56% of banks are able to really understand what their vendors and suppliers are doing by risk level and category level in ESG today. But we're starting to see more and more financial institutions adopt tools and processes that can help them, you know, understand what their own suppliers are doing and then help them report on that and use that insight to, to ensure that the suppliers that they're engaging with are clean with carbon, are, um, you know, focusing on diversity and inclusion progress in their own companies. So I think as we start to see more financial institutions collect data from tens and hundreds of suppliers and thousands of clients in more efficient ways, we're going to all start to feel a whole lot more confident, you know, that they're contributing to the solutions and not just the problems. Excellent. And Alina? Yeah, I mean, where are we going next? I think that... Um we're in, in a tipping point um, where if any of, of you listening to the podcast are not yet on this journey, um, you really have some serious and very urgent catching up to do. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> from a fin financial markets perspective, I think that it's very rare these days that we speak to any of our clients around the world and the topic of sustainability and ESG is not central to those conversations. Um, we still have a long way to go in terms of those best practices, uh, manuals of how to do it. Mm. However, uh, there is no room for excuses any, anymore. Um, and um, we, we see that uh, the speed of change uh, in the market is phenomenal. Um, last year, for example, um, I think that uh, across all asset classes, whether it's equities, fixed income, um, derivatives and so on, um, the inflows into ESG strategies uh, across the board exceeded the uh, inflows across non-ESG portions of those asset classes, which I think sends a very strong signal in terms of where the growth can be expected to happen this year and into the future. Um, so it's no longer sustainability in ESG is no longer um, something that we do to uh, make us feel good. It's becoming the right uh, strategy to actually pursue growth opportunities and navigate during this time of uh, quite significant volatility. Superb, superb. That's great. Um, I, I saw GFANS come out of the COP26 in Glasgow. GFANS, the Global Financial Alliance for Net Zero. And that's a, a coming together of, if I, if I remember correctly, 400 and something companies with together with $130 trillion across 45 countries. At the, I mean, amazing stuff. And, you know, 130 trillion is a number I can't even comprehend. But when you start to put that kind of level of investment towards net zero projects, it has to mean that good things will come out of it. Definitely. Um, LSEC um, is, is a part of GFENS. Um, and I think that this simply signifies how um, committed um, our society is to net zero and decarbonization. Uh, the stage in which we're now is no longer if, uh, it's about how. Um, mm. And uh, GFENS has established a number of work streams to try to solve for some of the difficult how questions around research and data, around indices and stock exchanges. Um, and I'm really hopeful that uh, we're soon no longer going to be afraid of, of the execution. We're coming towards the end of the podcast now, Elena and Betty. Is there any question I haven't asked that you wish I had or any aspect of this that we haven't touched on that you think it's important for people to think about? Well, you know, Tom, I think I think we've covered a lot in a short amount of time, but I do believe that we have to think through how um, all financial institutions, big and small, are going to support efforts around ESG. You know, I think the big banks have already been reviewing climate data. They've been collecting information on climate risks. But this isn't just a problem for large banks or large institutions or, or large organizations across the globe. I think the smaller institutions um, can't just sit on the sidelines and wait for government regulations to tell them what they need to be doing. I think all of these changes we've talked about today are impacting 
all of us, every single company, regardless of the size or the location. And some of the smaller organizations are, are un, uncertain about where to start because they, they don't have quite the extensive resources that some of their larger competitors do. But the good mm. news is that they don't have to go at this alone. There are a lot of great partners that they can utilize that can help them help their financial institution prepare for the changes that are coming so that they can be the kind of bank that they want to be and that their customers and their investors are expecting them to be as we move forward. Superb. Elena, anything else? Really well said, Betty. Um, I would just say that we do see a lot of change in the industry and and change can be can lead to to more uncertainty and and markets don't like uncertainty. Um, (laughs) Regulation can be scary. Usually it's viewed as a bad thing. Actually, in the case of sustainable finance, all of this change is striving for transparency and, and information. Information is really important and powerful too. Um, that, um, provides us with knowledge. Um, knowledge leads to action and it enables us to have the impacts that we want to have um, in, of course, addition to pursuing a profitability. Um, in my experience, um, we as, as human beings, most uh, of the time are disconnected with the impact when making investment decisions. And it's be simply because we don't have the information available at our fingerprints to make those uh, decisions more impactful. Uh, so this is the primary driver. It's to stimulate and empower all of us with the right data to make the right decisions. Well said. Very good. Very good. Very good. Okay, folks, uh, if people want to know more about yourself, Elena or Affinitiv or Betty or SAP or any of the topics we discussed in the podcast today, where would you have me direct them? Um, on refinitive.com, we have special sustainability perspectives um, website, which anyone can subscribe to. And um, subject matter experts, thought leaders from across the organization contribute. So it's a really great source to stay uh, informed of the latest developments. It contains some of my blogs and, and to- uh, posts, as well as some of my uh, great colleagues and peers. And I'm more than happy to connect with anyone on LinkedIn and exchange ideas and uh, see how we can collaborate. Phenomenal. And Betty? Uh, Exactly the same for me as Elena. Please reach out to me on LinkedIn. I'm happy to have a conversation with you about this topic. It's such an important part of what we need to be thinking about for the future of financial services. And you can go to sap.com slash sustainability and find out more information there as well about how you can engage with us and we can help you on your journey. Fantastic. Fantastic. Folks, that's been really, really interesting. Betty and Elena, thanks for coming on the podcast today. Thank you, Tom. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to the Industry Insights by SAP podcast. If you want to explore our industry portfolio to find the solutions you need to run your business better, faster and simpler, please visit us at sap.com slash industries.